Well, we are in James chapter 5, and uh, finally arrived at James chapter 5, our last chapter, and we're going to look at the first six verses um, of James chapter 5, a fairly short text today, and uh, he starts out saying this, now listen you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted, and moth Moss have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers you, who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you. What is wealth? And how do you measure it? And don't we all measure it differently? And don't we all measure it differently at different seasons in our life? And... What is the purpose of wealth? Robert Kiyosaki says wealth is measured in time. It is the ability to survive so many number of days forward. Hmm. Well, if he's right, then Ralph Waldo Emerson is also right when he says the first wealth is health. And a lot of us have discovered that, that uh, you know, wealth doesn't mean a whole lot if you don't have your, your health. It is good to have money to buy things and the things that money can buy, but it's a whole lot better if you have already have the things that money can't buy. There are a lot of people out there in our world today who would give all their money in the world that they have for health or for good relationships. And there are those who have passed on that would have traded all the wealth they ever had to have eternal life in heaven. Jesus said, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? He said that in Matthew and he said that in Mark. And it's a reminder for each one of us that we have to remember the most important thing you will ever do in life is come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And you don't ever want to trade that for pursuing money or wealth or any number of other things in life. Now our definitions of wealth, as I've already alluded to, they're constantly in flux. Partly because it's difficult for any of us to think of ourselves as wealthy because there's kind of a false sense of guilt that often accompanies wealth. And so we go about and we just don't want to admit we're wealthy and yet there isn't anyone in this room today that isn't among the world's at least top 5% and and most of us would fall in the top 1% of the world's wealthiest people. But we can't bring ourselves to admit that we are wealthy. And, and so sometimes we, we don't want to define ourselves as wealthy simply because um, of that false sense of guilt. 
But partly some of that comes because our definition of survival changes um, with time. Remember, um, he said that um, wealth is the ability to survive so many number of days out. Well, there, our definition of survival changes over time. Um, you, I guarantee it, you think you need a lot more to survive than your grandparents thought they needed to survive. <laughs> you know, in this move I'm making, I I, I, I'm expecting better than what my grandparents lived in. I don't want to track, you know, 300 yards to the outhouse at 3 in the morning in a blizzard. Um, we have different expectations of what it takes to survive today than what people did and what you did, actually, not too long ago. Your expectations have changed in life. <laughs> Go through a natural disaster or a fire or a health crisis, and what you value changes in life and your expectations changes in life. So as Priscilla and I prepare for this move that God is leading us in, um, one, one of the things that you know, I'm grappling with is, is I know that here I've been spoiled in many regards. And so I'm trying to figure out that question. What do I really need? And what do I just think I really need um, in a new ministry place? What can I live without and what can God help me just be content with? All of those kind of things. How do I see God using me in the last decade plus of ministry in my life if he gives me that much time? What does Priscilla need and what can she learn to live without? And what, where can we go where her gifts and her skills will best be used for God's glory? All of those questions come up as we think about this whole matter of wealth and all of that and survival. But back to this theology of wealth and what is wealth? I think we would all agree with Zig Ziglar that money and wealth are important. He said money isn't the most important thing in life, but it's reasonably close to oxygen <laughs> on the got to have it scale. Um, we all want some, and we'd all like to probably have a little bit more than we have. Our text in James, if you strip it away from the rest of Scripture and you take it out of context and you only read these six verses, it would give you the impression that wealth and money are bad and evil. Some people would connect this to Paul's uh, words to Timothy as evidence that wealth is evil. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. He writes that to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10. But Timothy there is told that it is the love of money that is the root of all evil. It is not money itself or wealth itself that is the root of all evil. When you think about the Ten Commandments, and the very last one of the Ten Commandments is, Thou shalt not covet. You, if, if you get down to that last one and you struggle with the last one, the interesting thing is, a person who is really into coveting will do all, break all the other Nine Commandments in order to get something they want that they can't have. 
kill and murder and lie and all those other commandments you can break if that one, if you're breaking the law, thou shalt not covet. Very interesting when you look at all of that. If you take the whole scripture into context, wealth is actually encouraged. 1 Timothy 5.8 says this, that we are worse than an unbeliever and an infidel if we don't care for the needs of our family. That obviously takes some wealth and some money and all of that. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4, and Proverbs 13, 11 says that you and I are to um, work, and we are to work to build and to invest wealth, to create resources for our lives. We are to be good stewards of our lives and our habits and all of that so that we are not unnecessarily dependent upon other people when we can take care of ourselves. God wants us, when, when that's possible, he always wants us to provide and take care of ourselves to the very best of our abilities. And then when you look at the Bible and you look at some of the greatest heroes of the Bible, many of them were very, very wealthy. Solomon, the you know, the wisest man on the face of the earth was also one of the richest men on the face of the earth. And you never hear the scripture ever criticize or lay any guilt trip or anything else on him. There's Abraham uh, with all of his herds and flocks and all of that. Um, there's, there's many heroes of the Bible that were very, very wealthy. Margaret Thatcher, who used to be a, a favorite politician, uh, for me in, in younger days, said, no one would remember the Good Samaritan if all he had was good intentions. But he also had money. <laughs> and, and, and so if you and I, if we're going to be used of God, it does take some resources. So having wealth, having money, there's nothing wrong with that in the Scripture. Um, so taking the Bible again as a whole... A Christian can have as much money um, as does not harm their soul, as does not hurt the way that they live a God-honoring life. So we are to possess wealth without it possessing us. We are to hold it in our hands without it, without holding it in our hearts. We are to use it for the benefit of our families, for God's world, and for God's people, especially those of the household of faith, Paul tells us. So as we come to this text today, that's a long introduction. My introduction is about as long as my sermon this morning. But as we come to this text this morning... We are to remember that God is not opposed to wealth. He's not opposed to money and to all of that. But he is opposed to gaining wealth through ungodly means, unholy means. And he is opposed to using it to squash people down instead of lifting them up. God looks at our motives. He looks at our intent. He looks at our heart to see how we acquire wealth and how we use wealth. All of that is important because nothing that we have is ours. Everything that God gives to us, 
We are just simply stewards of it. He owns it. We manage it. And so we have to, we always use wealth, we acquire wealth, and we use wealth in a way that honors and pleases God. So I want to go back to our text and, and talk to you just briefly about this whole issue of acquiring money uh, from this text in James. Um, there was a, I, I can't even remember the, the class I had with him, but Fred Tayton, Van Tatenhove um, was one of our Wesleyan professors at Asbury Seminary. And one day I heard him say that money talks, I'll not deny. I heard it talk and it said goodbye. Uh, <laughs> well, these, these people that James is writing to, they thought their money was never, ever going to say goodbye. They thought they had it and it was always going to be there and all of that. And so James is issuing a very strong word of warning, and we're going to get to that warning. But first, let's look at one problem of their wealth, and, and that was the fact of the way that they acquired it. And first of all, he says that in this case, these, these Jewish Christians that were living in Jerusalem at the time, they were acquiring wealth by hoarding when they should have been helping. There is an appropriate place and time in the scriptures for saving and investing and all of that. We are to do that. That's commanded by scripture. But there is, there is a difference between saving and hoarding. And these people had gone past the point of saving and investing and all of that. And they had gone to the place of just hoarding when there were all kinds of needs that God would have wanted that money used for um, instead of just keeping it for themselves. The difference um, between, by the way, one of the differences between saving and investing in the scriptures is the purpose um, from hoarding. When, when the scriptures talk about hoarding, it is almost only... Um, with the intent to make my, my life all about me and make me very comfortable. Saving and investing has a broader purpose than that, and that is to become the kind of person that God can use to reach out to bless our families, to bless our community, to, to um, spread godly influence around. And so there's a difference between just saving and investing and hoarding. And here these people had gotten to the place where they, they just hoarded their wealth for their own pleasure and, and joy. And so they were hoarding instead of helping. But secondly, a lot of these people in Jerusalem, these Jewish Christians that had come to Christ, they, they had acquired their wealth by cheating workers out of fair wages and benefits. Um, and these workers were simply powerless in, in the culture of the day uh, to do anything but to cry out to God. And James tells them their cries have been heard by God. And that comes from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 13, where God lays out so many of these just common sense, practical relationship rules for the Israelites back in Leviticus. And he says, do not defraud or rob your neighbor. 
Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. And, and, and that comes from that culture and that day where you paid your worker every day because that is how they put food on the table that night uh, for their family and all of that. And we, you know, today in our culture, we would, whatever your pay period is, you would be faithful to pay it in that pay period and all of that. So, Two things come out of this that you want to recognize as you acquire wealth. And, and one is that God cares very much about the poor. And so as you acquire wealth, you want to be very sure that you are not damaging the poor as you acquire wealth. Secondly, God cares very much about the common everyday labor. He cares about those people. And if we ever get into a place of great influence and resource and we're hiring a lot of those people, we simply need to understand that God cares as much about them as he cares about all of those who have lots of resources to hire those people. And we need to be good stewards and good managers in the way we take care of employees. So those are the two things that James brings up in this, this passage. There are other things that could be said, but that's what James sticks to as he's dealing with a situation in Jerusalem. And then he goes and he begins to talk to them about the way they use wealth as, as Christians. James was not only concerned about the way that we get money, he was also concerned about the way that we use money. I, and if you go back to James chapter 2, we've already looked at that passage where James warned the rich about insulting the poor, exploiting them, dragging them into court because they could buy control of the, the, buy control of the court system, obstruct justice, manipulate the law, take advantage of people and all those kind of, of things. You cannot read the Old Testament um, the minor prophets, the minor prophets especially, but even the major prophets. You, you go through um, the Old Testament and it's, it's startling to me how often God says one of the main reasons why he sent the Israelites into Babylonian and Assyrian captivity was not just their idolatry, but one of the main reasons was because the Jewish people themselves were exploiting the poor and not taking care of the needs of the people around them. They were buying off, making bribes in the court system, and, and misusing justice and, and obstructing justice and all of that. And, you know, quite frankly, friends, I never dreamed I would ever see the day in America where our court system is so messed up, and it can be so misused, um, and that's a great concern. And it should be a great concern to Christians. God set the justice system in order. Our whole justice system in the United States was founded out of the Old Testament scriptures. And we cannot allow the justice system in our country to be destroyed because God is very concerned that justice is maintained. 
And God was concerned enough about obstructing justice and using the judges and bribes and all that kind of stuff to obstruct justice in the Old Testament to send the Israelites into captivity. If we want a healthy America, we have to be a just nation and a a people that cares about all of that. So we have to understand that. Now James accuses these um, Jerusalem Christians of having condemned and murdered the innocent or the just. It's almost like a double crime. They're not only doing evil, but they're doing it to innocent and just people who cannot or will not um, defend themselves. And so the question for us is, as we deal with resources and as we deal with money and we deal with wealth, is this. Do we live our lives to enhance or to diminish the lives of the poor? Do I use my wealth to help lift people up out of poverty and become independent, self-sustaining people? Or do I use my wealth to keep people impoverished and to be able to control them? There is a difference. You know, a lot of times we just want to give and help someone, but sometimes in our giving, we just make people more dependent. God God does not want dependent people. He wants us to help people become thriving. He wants us to help people become independent and self-sustaining and all of that. And so in our giving, as we use our wealth, we want to make sure that when we're helping someone, we are helping them thrive themselves so they can um, feel that joy of being able to take care of themselves and all of that. Another question would be the way we use our, health, our, our wealth. Are we using it somehow to be a blessing to the poor, especially to those in the household of faith that Paul talks to Timothy about? Now, James was also concerned not only about justice and using our wealth to bribe people or get our way and control and all of those kind of things, but secondly, he was concerned about hoarding, which I've already addressed to a certain extent. Again, we are commanded to save, we are commanded to invest, we are commanded to have margins in our life. Um, you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14, 1 Timothy 5, 8, Matthew 25, 27, and a whole lot of other scriptures. And all of those things are commanded of us in the scriptures. You look at the story of Joseph. And Joseph saved up grain under the command of God for seven years during a time of plenty when it just seemed like, you know, the crops for seven years in a row, they were, they were great. And you just kind of think, well, that's always going to be the case. And they could have just, you know, spent it all and not worried about it. But no, Joseph saved and he, he um, kept that and he invested that and, and built granaries for that grain so that during the seven years of famine that came after that, that he would have enough um, grain to take care of and feed the Egyptians and all of that. And, and so he created those margins and and believe it or not, at the end of the seven years, people were selling themselves as slaves to Joseph and all kinds of things because it, they'd used it all up. It was gone. But if he hadn't done that, 
All those people would have died in the famine and all of that. Saving money um, so that we can be faithful in our obligations to God, faithful in our obligations to our family, uh, faithful in our um, obligations to man, that's righteous. But hoarding money, when we haven't been faithful to our obligations to God, with tithing, when we haven't been faithful to our obligations, to our family, to man, and all of that, that there's, that's wrong and evil and wicked. And, and James clearly says that, lays that out for us. And he, he accuses these people of, of hoarding. The third thing he says to us is this danger of hedonism, which is just a, a philosophical term that means the pursuit of pleasure. And it is the pursuit of personal pleasure that is devoid of accomplishing any earthly good outside of making yourself happy. (laughs) And when you think of that, what you think of, the Bible story that comes to mind is the story uh, that Jesus told, the parable that Jesus told uh, of the prodigal son who goes out to his father one day and says, you know, give me my share of the estate. And he goes off and... Wine, women, and song, and has a party, and has all kinds of friends, and he he blows his whole inheritance, and half the farm, and all of that, and at the end has nothing, but he was a prodigal. He was concerned about hedonism. The only thing that mattered to him was going out and having a good time. There was the rich young fool, or the rich fool, Um, Not the rich young ruler, but the rich fool who, you know, just said, I'm just going to build bigger barns. And why? Not because he was saving, not because he was investing, not because he wanted to accomplish anything good with any of that. But he built his bigger barns so that (laughs) he could live forever in pleasure (laughs) for himself. He said, let me eat, drink, and be merry. And that was the only thing he wanted to accomplish with his life. He had no plans whatsoever to be of any earthly good to anyone else. Except for himself. James wants to remind us that none of us were put on earth to be of good to ourselves. God put every single one of us here on earth to serve him and to serve the world around us. And if we don't keep that as our focus, we end up in trouble. If we think that everything that we accumulate and all the money that we run into and all of our resources and all of that is just there for our personal pleasure, we have completely missed the purpose for which God created us. And back to verse 1 we go, where James says, Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. And so to these people who did not acquire their wealth right and did not use it appropriately, James is saying, giving them a very stern warning That those who get rich by ungodly means with ungodly values are going to experience some things. Because God is the ultimate judge of our lives. 
And the first thing he says is your wealth rots and it vanishes. It simply doesn't last. How many grand lottery winners have absolutely destroyed their lives by winning the lottery? And they run into, you know, they haven't had anything, and all of a sudden they have millions and millions of dollars, and they end up a few years later divorced, children fighting, they've, they've, they've spent all their money, and they have absolutely nothing, and they're eating out of the pig trough, and they're trying to figure out a way for someone else to take care of them and keep up the style of living they had when they had money. Money is not something that you and I can put our trust in. So wealth, it can vanish, it can evaporate, you know, uh, the market can collapse and all kinds of tragedies can happen and we have to keep that in our minds when we think about the resources that God has given to us. Secondly, James would tell us this, he would say that the misuse of wealth eventually corrupts our character. It erodes it, like erosion does in our soil. I don't have to say anything to you. Every one of you know people whose character in the last five years in McKenzie County has been eroded by the influx of money. Be very, very careful that you keep your character, that you keep your integrity, that you treat people right as God gives you resources. And then he says to them, James says, you don't want the cries and the testimonies of people whom you have cheated and wronged to be heard by the God who holds your eternal destiny in your hands. <laughs> well, that's a thought. If God hears the cries of those we have wronged or we have cheated, we don't want him to be hearing those cries in the judgment of works. And we need to be very careful about that. And then he throws in, in verse 6, I, I believe it is, he throws in, verse 5, somewhere in there, he throws in this line and he says, you are like cattle being fattened for the day of slaughter. And that all comes back from a reference from Zechariah chapter 11, verses 4 through 7, where he's talking about shepherds there um, who are not taking care of their flocks. They're, you know, the people of Israel. And so he just said, you're like cattle being fattened for the day of slaughter. And he says, there is a day for these people who are not acquiring wealth right and not using it right, you need to know that you're being fattened up and you're fattening it, you're doing it to yourself. You're fattening yourself up for the day of slaughter before the Lord. 
The interesting thing is the historical note behind all of this that we don't obviously see in James is that Jesus had prophesied that Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. And he hadn't given them a date, but it was in 70 AD where the Romans just came in and they just completely destroyed Jerusalem. James was writing in 60 AD to those same Christians who were hoarding their wealth, taking advantage of the poor, cheating their workers, doing all that kind of stuff. They were Christians, but they were doing all of that kind of stuff. And James is writing to them and he's saying, do you remember what Jesus said? Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. Your wealth is going to be gone. Everything you have is going to be stripped away from you. And sure enough, in 70 AD, the Romans came in. They took every bit of Jewish wealth and took it for themselves and ransacked Jerusalem and just destroyed the temple, just made a mess of Jerusalem that is found all over um, the history books. So in conclusion, a couple of things to keep in mind from this troubling text from James. First of all, wealth is not very good security. We are to save it, we are to invest it, we are to make it. <laughs> save it, invest it, all of those kind of things, we are to use it uh, for good purposes and all of that. But we need to know we can never put our trust in it. It is temporary, it is fleeting, it, it's vanishing, it's uncertain. Anything can come along and it can be gone tomorrow. Yet, wealth can be a very great value, something we all desire. When it is acquired and when it is used for the benefit of our families, for the benefit of our world, and for the benefit of God's kingdom. I've said this a number of times before, but I'm going to say it again in, in terms of this. What you really need to value in life are the things that you will value when you're sitting in the Good Shepherd home and all your stuff's been given away and you've got a little dresser. What do you really value? Secondly, you really need to value what you're going to wish you had valued in the judgment of works. Because you and I have invited Jesus to be Lord of our life and Savior of our life, we don't have to worry about a judgment for salvation or not, we've been saved. But there is coming a judgment of works. And every one of us will be judged for how we use the resources, the talents, the gifts, all of those things that God has given to us. And James says, we need to value the things today that we will value when God judges us in that judgment of works. Value that today.